Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm so glad you're here. This is your first time joining me. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. If you guys uh, would join me, please, in a word of prayer, let's ask God to help us understand the Word and help us not only understand the Word, but live the Word. For Jesus says that the person that listens to the Word but goes away is like a foolish man that didn't build his house on rock, but the man that heard the Word and did the things that the Word said would be like a wise man who built his house on rock. And when the winds come and the floods came and the storms came and they didn't well they weren't able to move that house or that 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 foundational house out of the way so let's be like those people let's ask god to help us do that our hearts are deceitfully wicked and we can't trust them so let's uh let's turn to the word of god and, and ask god to help us live it and not just know it lord thank you for bringing us here thank you for your holy word thank you for your holy spirit thank you lord god for all that you do for us Thank you, Lord God, for your leadership and your guidance, Lord. So many people say, oh, the Word of God, and it's only this and it's only that. But, Lord, your Holy Spirit, Lord, knows the people that are seeking you and knows the people that are intently wanting to know what you say, Lord. And so we just pray, Lord God, right now that you'd search the hearts and the minds of all those listening in in this home that we're in here in McKinney, Texas, and also all over the world, Lord, and we we pray that you'd Seek out those hearts that are intently wanting to know you and more about you today. And we pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to understand the words that you have to say to us today. And that, Lord, as well, that you'd help us to do them. Help us to know them and do them, Lord God. So we could be the people whose houses are built on the rock, Lord, so that we can stand firm through all the bad times in life. Thank you, Lord God, for all that you do for us. Thank you for everything and all your love in all your mercy, in all your grace that you give to mankind still to this day. We love you, God, and we praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Title of our sermon today, as you probably already could guess, you online already know, but Hope of Israel Part 4. Don't know how many parts we're going to have. God still hasn't given me another book to go off into yet. And we're still in the prophecies of Christ. We're going to be today, mainly, our main thrust of study of Scripture will be Psalm chapter 2. Now, not, not too much. It's only 12 verses. Big sermon, though, a lot of in-depth. Last week, we finished two more of those prophecies, of the many prophecies that Jehovah laid down in the Tanakh, or Old Testament of the Christian Bible, that are to define His Messiah when He would come, whenever that would be. As far as the actions and things He would do, as far as the characteristics of the things, of the ways that He would be. Meaning, again, for the one that is either already come, or for the one who is to come, a Messiah, Jehovah's Messiah, must not not well you know he must have or will have to fulfill the prophecies that Jehovah gave of him in order to be considered God's one true Messiah of the Jews and of the world those defining actions that we looked at last week or I'm sorry week one not now not part one of the series we kind of started the prophecies part two so this is the third week of the prophecies so Part two, we studied how Messiah was to be born, when that would be virgin birth, and which family of Israel he was to be born of, that would be of the family of King David. Last week, which was part three, we examined what kind of miracles Messiah would do and where he would be born. And they all point 
to one and only throughout all history, even today, and that would be Jesus who proclaimed to be God's Messiah, the Christ. Today, we're only going to cover one prophecy. Yes, that's right, just one. A prophecy in Psalm 2 that God gave of his Messiah of one of the very special titles or names that Jehovah was going to give Messiah when he came. One name that people would know Messiah by, right? A very unique and special title and one which would describe his relationship with Jehovah as well too. I knew of this uh, specific title of Messiah in this Psalm too, but before this study, I didn't really realize the importance of just how God puts this special name in this psalm in such an amazing, really one-of-a-kind way. And as you'll see as we go, I had never seen this up until just this week. Uh, God opened up this revelation to me this week, and it just blew my mind. This this revelation that God gave me this week probably was within the, the top 10 of all things that God has ever taught me. My hope and prayer for you today is that, and for myself, is that number one, I can teach it to you as God has shown me, and so that you'll see just how special it is, how special of a title, and how, what, what things that God had to do to go through to give this special title to his Messiah. And number three, I'm hoping and I'm praying that it'll change your life and the way you look at Jehovah's Messiah. So enough hype, let's get to it. It's very in-depth today. I have a, I have a little prelude, Psalm 2, Messiah's very special title, uh, and who he was to Jehovah. Before we study our first and our only prophecy today, I want to tell you that the Jews today don't believe that their Messiah will be anything more than a descendant of King David, a mere man. The Jews believe that the Messiah, as well as them, are all sons of God. They, they don't see any difference between the sonship of Messiah and the sonship of themselves. Uh, biblically, really, God says that he's the creator of all people uh, in, in a way that he you know, gave people the ability to make people, and so it all came from him. So really, he's the father of all creation. Um, and the Jews, they're really somewhat divided on who Messiah will be and what he will do when he comes, but they mostly agree that he will just be an anointed king or ruler over Israel and a great military leader. But are they right? I don't think so. I think they're wrong, and I believe their Hebrew scriptures, their Tanakh, also will show us that today. They base their entire belief off of Messiah uh, this way, off of the Hebrew word Mashiach. And it's Strong's number H4899. And its definitions are as such all the ways they're used in Scripture. Anointed, anointed one of the Messiah, the Messianic Prince, of the King of Israel, of the High Priest of Israel. Cyrus was also, Cyrus King of Persia was also given that name. And of the patriarchs as anointed king. Mashiach is also uh, is used this way to speak about all of Israel's kings and their priests and, and the Messiah and all the rest that I mentioned. If you go throughout scripture, we're going to, you know, you can, you can read that as you go through the text. We're not going to cover any of those examples today, but just know that that's the way it's used. Uh, but are, are the Jews warranted in believing their Messiah will come and just be a regular son of God, a regular person uh, like uh, the king of Israel who was is descended from David, a great military leader? Uh, they, they think Messiah is going to 
bring a new way in for God, which you know, they're, they're right somewhat, and he's going to bring in redemption of the Jewish people, world peace, prosperity, things like that. Are they right in just thinking, though, that he's going to just be a mere man like them? Well, I believe that they're not warranted in believing that and so wrong in their ideas of Messiah if we consider all the times and context that Mashiach is used in the totality of the Hebrew Bible or the Christian Old Testament. Where is the Jewish Mashiach spoken of in the context uh, that it doesn't just mean a human king that will be a great leader over Israel? Well, in our prophecy of him today in Psalm 2, where Jehovah speaks about Messiah and then gives him the most special. Trust me now on this. I'm going to show you as we, as we go. He gives him the most special, unique, and one-of-a-kind names. Really, a name above all names throughout all the Word of God. And it's amazing how God brought me to this. Let's read Psalm 2. I want to get into it. I'm really excited about this psalm. Start in verse 1. And God says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. Anointed, that's your Mashiach. Anything, any word says anointed in the whole Old Testament, Tanakh of the Bible, that means anointed, that means Mashiach. That was one of the titles, right? And so here, basically, the word is used for all the above. Individual king, priest, the Messiah, who they think is still coming, which means that so far, they say that Messiah could just be a mere man, and that is well within so far the context of this psalm, but it doesn't stay that way. Um, so you see here, the nations rage, and the people plot a vain... A vain thing. Uh, so basically, the people are against God and against His Messiah. And and you know, I think we did see that uh, with Jesus Christ when He came. Just to, as a you know, as a prelude. Obviously, I believe the Psalm points right and directly to Him. And of course, I'm going to show you that. But what do the nations say against Jehovah and His anointed? Verse three: Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. You see, the nations don't like being under the leadership of or kingship of Jehovah or of his anointed leader, this King Messiah this psalm is talking to. God's response, verse 4, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in desertion. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. You see, God says here, I'm going to laugh at them. And he, he says, I'm going to let them know about it. Um, Yet, there is an additional thing that God does here. He does say next, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Here we see that this anointed one that God is speaking of is a king. One that Jehovah has set on the mountain in Jerusalem called Mount Zion, which means that this king will rule all of Israel. You see how this psalm points to the messianic king, the Messiah, the Mashiach king, right? And all of this means that the one that Jehovah is speaking here so far is his special leader, or as I've been saying, unlike King David, unlike King Solomon, he was God's anointed king. Uh, is this one king just another one of Jehovah's anointed human rulers over Israel like David, like uh, Saul, like Solomon? Not quite. He's far from it, really can't be any farther <laughs> away from one of those normal people and we know this because of what the uh, what what this uh, what God says prophetically next to us in verse 7 and he says this look look at what he says here verse 7 will be where we'll spend most of our sermon today God speaks this 
I will declare and decree. That means God's winding up to say something big. When God gives a decree, whatever he says, it will be. I mean, that's kind of a way you can rhyme it. Whatever God says when he decrees, it will be what will be to be, right? So he's going to say something big here. He's going to say something that's going to stand. Look at his huge decree. He says here, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Here we see that his Messiah, this Mashiach or anointed king in this Psalm 2, tells us that Jehovah told him who he was in relationship to Jehovah, right? In case you missed it, it's life-changing, so I don't want you to miss it, but Jehovah's anointed king in this prophet just told us that Jehovah God, the God of all the universe, decreed, declared boldly to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Do you realize what this means? Maybe you don't. Hopefully, maybe you don't, maybe you do. The Messiah, Mashiach, anointed king, says there that Jehovah called him his begotten one or his personal father that literally brought him into the world. This is the same phrase that a human-born child would use to speak about their biological father or dad. Where did I get that? The key here is in the word begotten. As he says today, I have begotten you. Hebrew word for begotten, yalad. Yalad. Strong's H3205. And it literally means to bear. Like a woman would bear a child from her womb. To bring forth. To beget. This is so huge. (laughs) This is so huge. This is where God blew my mind in the study of all this. It's, I'm going to break it down. It's so huge. It's so huge. I, I, I didn't even understand how big it was until I studied it all the way out. Here's where I was telling you, I hope God shows it to you the way he showed it to me. And I want to show you how special it is and I want it to change your life. So <clears throat> the word begotten that Jehovah declares boldly to his anointed one here in Psalm 2 that describes his relationship with him is again the word Yalad, Strong's H3205. That may not seem like much to you as it didn't seem like a great big deal to me either at first until again I studied it out and as Jehovah, Yahweh, God Almighty led me, he opened my eyes to the truth and the depth of what God is saying here. Uh, just FYI, so far we have Jehovah telling us that this in this prophetic psalm that he is speaking to us of his anointed Mashiach, Messiah, King of Israel, and that now he's also his begotten son. I, I think it's safe to say for sure now that we can say that this is the Messiah that God's speaking of, and we would be right in saying that. Remember I told you last week about the Jerusalem Talmud, 2nd century uh, A.D. Well, Talmud 52a uh, says this, Our rabbis thought, taught the Holy One, blessed be he, will say to Messiah, the son of David, may he reveal himself speedily in our days. Ask of me anything, and I will give to thee, as it is said, Psalm 2, 7 and 8, I tell you of the decree the Lord hath said to me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give the nations for thine inheritance. So they thought it was for God's Messiah. It wasn't just for just another son of God. This is for another child of God. This is for the special anointed child of God, the son of God, the anointed one. 
Getting back now to Jehovah's special anointed one, right? The one he just calls his son here. This very special, unique, and one-of-a-kind title, begotten son. Wow. I want to just break it down for you. The Hebrew word here for begotten is yelad, as I've mentioned. And it means begotten here in this verse, but it also is translated to these words in the Jewish text. 201 times it's beget. 110 times it's bear. It's 79 times born. 25 times bring forth. 23 times bear. Travail, 16. Midwife, 10. Child, 8. Delivered, 5. Born, 3. Birth, 2. Labor, 2. Brought up, 2. And 12 miscellaneous, and they didn't really record those. All at a total, think of this now, 498 times that this word is used throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. Now you say, Pastor Ed, there's no huge revelation nor unique or special one-of-a-kind name in a word that's used 498 times throughout the whole Old Testament. And I will admit, you're right about some of what you said. Yalad is begotten here, and, and it being used 498 times is no big deal. Uh, alone, it's not unique or special or one-of-a-kind, and you're right, I am crazy. So you got me right on those points. But let me explain more because I'm crazy for sure. I'm crazy for Jesus Christ. I'm crazy about the truth as well too. There's a prize here that took some digging to find. And so by the leading of God's Holy Spirit, I went digging. And let me tell you what, it was a crazy, crazy dig. As what I mean by digging is, yes, I read through 400 or well whatever references that that they gave which was almost 498 times this word yalad i read over all the section or all the verses that this word was in 490 you know how long it takes to go through 498 verses to look at one word and how it's used i told you i was crazy for truth it was a crazy dig anyway what did I find on my special dig? Well, I found this. I found that the special treasure of the fact that of all 498 references of the word Yalad in the Hebrew text, listen, only two out of all 498 referenced Jehovah personally Yalad or Yalading uh, someone. Only twice. What that means is, out of all 498 uses of the word, most references were David begot Solomon, uh, Abraham begot Isaac, etc. If you're ever familiar with Genesis or First Chronicles, where God goes through the genealogies, that was most of the times that Yalad was used. So-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so, Abraham begot Isaac. All of those, if you know what I mean, right? Well, this word here, Yalat, only used two times in reference to God, means that God only put himself in two references of this word with two different entities. Just two times did God say that he had a personal hand in bringing forth or begetting someone or something. Only two times. Is the word Yalad in regard to Jehovah personally pretty special to you yet? It should be because God only doing this twice means that, uh, that there's a lot of times the word's used, but not for Jehovah. It's just a human thing, right? But Jehovah personally, wow, 
This is, this is insanely, insanely important. This should be to you. It was to me. When I saw this, I was blown away. And FYI, the word for Jehovah beginning the Jews, Israelites as a whole as a nation, the reason why the Jews believe that they're sons and daughters of God, uh, and is also why they don't see Messiah any way different, is because of these two references. For you see, the only two places that Yalad is used with Jehovah in a personal way are with Messiah here in Psalm 2, and in Deuteronomy 32, 15 through 18, when he's talking about the Jews. Here's Yalad. And its context, Deuteronomy 32, 15 through 18, as far as the Jewish nation of Israel is concerned. He says this, verse 15, Deuteronomy 32. But Jeshurun, that would be the Israelites or Jews as a nation as a whole. He's speaking to the, to the whole of them in Deuteronomy. Uh, he says, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, he's speaking to them. You grew thick, you are obese. Then, after he did this, he's saying that, like, basically, uh, Israel as a nation got big and fat and strong. And then after they did this, he says there, then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed, uh, scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed the demons, not to God. To gods they did not know to new gods, new arrivals that their fathers did not fear. So he's talking about how Israel had gone away from him and rejected him, the one basically that made them, is what he's saying so far. And then verse 18 is where we find our word. Of the rock who begot you, speaking of how he brought them forth, this is the only other reference that Jehovah has personally with the word Yalad, of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. Yalad, they're contextually here meaning formed or developed because what God says there as far as uh, I fathered you in the very last verse there. And the second one, obviously, that we read of, that was the first time God used in reference to himself the word Yalad. Personally, the Jews as sons, that's where they get that from. Sections like Deuteronomy 32 and others. And the second one is obviously in Psalm 2-7, speaking about the individual person of Jehovah's Messiah, that Jehovah Yalad, or that he begot. So these two references may seem like they're saying the same things, but they're not the same at all. Couldn't be farther from the truth, actually. Because remember I said that the Jews believe that they're all Jehovah's children, sons and daughters, like their Messiah would, to come would be the same. And then it's because, again, I'm 30, Deuteronomy 32 plus Psalm 2. But they're not right 100% in their understanding. They are all God's children, but they are wrong to say that their special Messiah, the one, the Mashiach, is going to be like them as a, as a God's son in that way. Let me explain. Although Yalad translates to beget, begotten mostly, which means that literally to bring forth or to bear like a literal birth, making no difference in the sonship between the special king Messiah and the Jews, there's a difference exegetically, which means all in the totality of Scripture, all the ways in which God speaks of the Jewish people exegetically. That means when we study out all the whole Bible and how Jehovah speaks about the Jews and his special Messiah. 
Jehovah never said of the nation of Israel there that he literally had a hand in making, like himself, making the Israel children of Israel a child by his, let's say, DNA, right? God just had a hand in bringing them forth, and he speaks of that in Ezekiel verses 1 through 8. Look at how God speaks of Israel here, of how he begot them. He says this, Ezekiel 16, 1 through 8. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, call Jeru- cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. Again, now, Israel, the children of Israel, the Jews had fallen away from God. Verse 3, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. Listen how he talks to them now. Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. You see how God is not putting himself in the begetting spot of their actual literal father? Like, uh, I am a father literally with my wife to my children through our two DNAs mixing together and making a new child. Notice how he's not saying that here. God tells us here that He was not literally responsible for making the woman pregnant, the father and the mother, making them pregnant by himself, by his own personal person, uh, right? And But yet that the ones that came together that knew one another, that had, let's say, sex together to make the children of Israel were, of course, Abram and Sarai. And we know that. That's who God's talking about there. Abraham and Sarah, who became Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarai became Abraham and Sarah, came together and they had their first, you know, their child of the promise. And then that child of the promise went on and then the, the child of the promise went on. And they, they, now we have the whole land of Israel. We have the whole, all of Jews, right? Listen to how else he talks about them. So he already took himself out of the spot of being the children of Israel's literal, like birth father, verse 4, As for your nativity on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you, now notice God's looking from the outside here, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you uh, to do any of the things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field where you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. Verse 6, and when I passed by... You know, God's outside of the interaction here. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. And I made you thrive like a plant in the field. And you grew, matured, and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. Notice how God is is interested now in their development, but again, he never put himself in the place of their biological father. Verse 8, When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love, so I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. So you know what God just said there? He said, I'm not their biological father because no biological father would ever say to his child, yeah, I made a deal with you and you became mine. That, that is, you become mine 
as this deal that we made, not that I knew this woman and then now she had a baby because I'm the literal birth father, right? So you see, he's not personally personage involved in getting Sarai or Sarah pregnant to have the children of Israel as less if he was the biological father. What all that means is that as far as Jehovah's relationship with the Jews as sons and children of his, that there's his own, he only allowed them really by adoption initially. He's the one that had a hand in forming the nation, but he was not ever, he did never ever claim there that he was their biological father where he brought them forth with him being involved in getting Sarah pregnant himself, right? God tells Moses in, in, to, to tell Pharaoh, Exodus 4, and 23, that Israel is my firstborn son, let my son go, speaking to them as a nation that he beget, that he beget acquired through adoption. And the nation was his firstborn child, as he had not remember. The Bible speaks about this. He had not chosen any other people group ever to call his own nation. Uh, so this was Jehovah's relation to Israel as a nation, and the way Yalad was used with them, as well as con- you know, con- exegetical contextual information from the whole of Scripture. What about Messiah in Psalm 2? How does God speak of his relationship with him? And what do parallel scriptures say about this Messiah in Psalm 2 and other sections? Well, here's where it gets really interesting. Here's where the revelation just poured out. I was blown away, still blown away. I hope you are. In Psalm 2, 7, the King Messiah says of Jehovah that he simply Yalad him, no, no other way than that. And he says it in the first person, speaking of what Jehovah declared to him personally and individually, right? As an individual. What God does by saying this is he makes himself Messiah's literal, supernatural birth father, making this King Messiah the literal birth son of Jehovah not by adoption, but by personal involvement in his conception. Not that he knew or had sex with a woman to make that happen, but somehow he said to his Messiah here, I will be your literal, no other way to put it, biological father. Not adopting you, but my personage I will put within a woman and she will have a baby. That's really what he's saying. <laughs> I'm not crazy in understanding this because Isaiah 7, 13 and 14 speaks about how God's going to bring the Messiah forth. Now, I know we've already studied this, this, this idea about Messiah, but look at it now through the eyes of what Psalm 2, 7 said. Listen to this. Then he said to Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 13 and 14, then he said, Hear now, house of David, is a small thing for you to wear, man, but you will wear God. Also, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates, remember, to literally God with us. Now, now think, God can't be with us literally in the son of this virgin if this virgin's son was not God in the flesh. 
I mean, it's common sense. Right? If the son of the virgin, who didn't know a human man, is called God with us, that makes the son like God in having God's personal traits in a, the way that God made her conceive of this child. This title, by the way, God with us, is not given to any other person in the Hebrew Bible either. How exactly is this virgin supposed to get pregnant, not knowing or having sex with a human mate? Well, Psalm 2-7, Jehovah literally says that he's going to beget him. He's going to literally put his personage, his DNA, if you will, into the virgin to cause her to be pregnant so that he can beget this Mashiach. In Psalm 2-7, making Jehovah and Isaiah 7-14, the literal birth father of this baby that was to be born of this virgin. Isaiah 7-14, by the way also, in case you were wondering, was spoke by Jehovah's own mouth. Now, think about Psalm 2-7 and Isaiah 7, and then what Jehovah tells us about his son that would be born through a literal virgin in Isaiah 9 Six and seven. <laughs> Listen to this, how the son of the virgin is going to be spoken of. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called. Wonderful. Well, that's pretty interesting. Ah, how about this one? Counselor. That's pretty awesome. But here's where it gets really interesting. Mighty God. What? Messiah is going to be mighty God? Does that sound like a normal King David to you or a normal King Saul or Samuel the prophet? No. How about this one? The Messiah. Everlasting Father. Whoa! The Messiah? Everlasting? I only know the Bible speaks about one everlasting father outside of Messiah, and that's God that uses that reference for himself. I am the everlasting father, right? Or, and prince of peace. So the son that was to be born to the Jewish people who was to be considered, according to Jehovah's prophecy in Isaiah 9, was to be called mighty God and everlasting father. What? Now, by the way, if you were wondering about the Hebrew word yalad and all the ways it's used in the Tanakh and in Psalm 2, well, out of the 498 times it's used in the Hebrew text in the Bible, it's only used one time to describe the literal birth son of Jehovah. And that's in Psalm 2-7 where King Messiah says that Jehovah decrees or declares to him that he is the literal flesh and blood spirit son of Jehovah. You think that Jehovah was trying to tell us something in Psalm 2-7, Isaiah 7-14, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7? Well, I think so. Now do you see why I told you that this King Messiah in Psalm 2 was the Jews' promised Messiah to come and one that had a very special, unique and one-of-a-kind name or title. You see, you see that now? A one whom was no ordinary son of God, like the Jews as a nation, whom God told us in Ezekiel, right, that he kind of adopted them. He, didn't, he wasn't their birth father. Uh, one that was no normal or ordinary anointed ruler over Israel, which was to be a name he got really in Psalm 2-7, a name above all names. 
Just think, Jehovah didn't give this title or name to anyone or any nation in all his word, except for this one great king, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Psalm 2, and the literal flesh ruler of Israel, this Messiah that God was speaking about, uh, the one that would be born a virgin, the one that would be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, because he would literally have the same kind of Jehovah's personal DNA in him that Jehovah has. Wow! Let's finish up the rest of the Psalm 2, verses 8 through 12, kind of quickly, because now that we have that kind of in our brains, that, that awesomeness about who God's really speaking to us of here, this, the rest of the Psalm really makes a lot of sense. Pick up in verse 8. God says this of this Mashiach, of this Messiah. He says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Now think about it. If Mashiach was just another normal child of God, like the Jews consider themselves children of God, by, of course, now Ezekiel, by adoption, does God ever say in the whole Tanakh that he gives them the whole world as their possession? No. He never says that he gives them all the nations of all the ends of the earth to be their possession. He just brings all the Jews back, and the Jews are no longer a persecuted people, but the Jews are no longer, or Jews never get said to them that they get to rule over the whole earth. And think about this now. What normal human king, a messiah, whatever you want to call him, a human being, can rule over the entire, all the ends of the earth and all together if it was just a normal human being and not Isaiah 7.14, God with us. So God literally living within and being this, this, this human person that Isaiah 7 talks about. Jehovah tells us next how this great Messiah himself in the flesh, you could say, Son of God, will judge the world. Verse 9, you shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Only Jehovah, or only Jehovah in the flesh, as Messiah is going to be, could judge every single nation on earth that way. No mere ruler of the line of David or a regular person in the whole world could ever rule just like that. Verse 10, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry. Don't make Messiah, or really God in the flesh, don't make him angry. So serve him and fear, because if you do, you will. I should say, if you don't, the rest of verse 12, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little, Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Well, that's another clue, too. God just showed me this. The, his word, Jehovah's word, the Tanakh, the whole Testament of the Bible, never, ever, 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 ever once says, put your trust in a human being. If Messiah was just the normal Jew that was just the son of God, like all the Jews... God would be going against his word, but here of Messiah, he says, 
that we are supposed to put our trust in Him. Now, we're only told in Jehovah's Word that we're to put our trust in Jehovah. Now, Messiah was not going to be literally Jehovah because we know His Word tells us that He's Spirit. But we do know that He will be God with us through the child of the Virgin from Isaiah chapter 7. There's no way that the Messiah that is described in Psalm 2, Isaiah 7, and Isaiah 9 was just a great human-only ruler over Israel king. Yet there are many Jews today that, even though they read the same Psalm 2 as well as all the other sections of Isaiah, they still believe that their Mashiach is only known to be a great ruler in Israel, a mere human being. Some sadly even believe, they can't even believe their Jewish text if they're believing this, but some Jews, that's why I said they were pretty divided on this when I started the sermon. Some Jews only believe that their Mashiach is going to be a time period. They don't even believe it's going to actually be a man. I, I don't. Again, I don't understand. You know, you got as I as I taught you. I think it was last week. There there are things about the Bible. There are things that God says. There's the way we look at can look at Messiah that's of our own design, right? Of our own kind of imagination. Well, I'm just going to make up Messiah. I'm just going to make up Jehovah. I'm just going to make up Jehovah's ways. My own you know, from my own ways, and I'm, I'm just going to look at just a few sections that are going to, you know, tell me, or there's a way that you can look at Jehovah, Jehovah's Messiah, Jehovah's Word, His ways, and the totality of Scripture, and this is what, sadly, the Jews are not doing. They Some Jews even think that this Messiah that's going to come, because they don't believe it was Jesus, uh, sadly, He's not even going to rule forever over Israel. Uh, as their anointed king or anointed one, right? As Jehovah told David in Psalm or Second Samuel seven. I mean, we're not even just talking about the ones I brought up. To, we're talking about the totality of all that speaks about Messiah in Scripture shows him living forever, reigning forever, being a ruler of the world forever, being God's literal begotten. Only one son, literal of his own personage and DNA in the whole Bible. But again, look, please don't just make up a Messiah or a Jehovah or Jehovah's word that fits your image because of parts of God's word. Believe in the Messiah and Jehovah and God's word and himself throughout the whole word. Please, people, please, 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 don't just form your opinion from one or two verses or one or two sections. Go to the totality of Scripture and search things and study things out. Same way that I looked at the word Yalad. Think, the dead, the, I had 498 verses or sections that I had to go through in order to bring you the truth of this word Yalad and how it was only used twice, one for the Jewish nation, one for the Messiah, but the one for Messiah was special. I mean, that took, that took some time. That took a love of God. I, I love God. I love the truth. That's how God wants all people to be. Now, now closing out, I want to ask here, did anything that I talked about today sound like anything that you might have heard from the Christian faith? Uh, things or attributes that Christians had found in the head of their faith, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, they should have. If you notice how this thing spoken about God in, or by God in Psalm 2 sounded like how the New Testament talks about Jesus Christ, you're right. Psalm 2, though, was written 
over a thousand years before Jesus Christ was born. Over a thousand years. Now, as I've mentioned earlier and what I just said, I believe that Jesus of Nazareth fit the bill of the Jewish Messiah described in the depths of Psalm 2, Isaiah 7 and 9. And now I'm going to tell you why. Jesus was considered and recorded by those that followed him as the only begotten Son of God, just like Psalm 2 proclaimed. That means the Jews then believed their scriptures and they said the Messiah that's going to come, he's going to be God's literal Son, right? Remember now, again, the writers of the New Testament, those who penned the words that Jesus Christ was God's literal Son, so then God literally in the flesh, you know, God born into humankind, right? They lost their lives and were tortured to death because of their beliefs. So they had nothing to gain from writing what they did. And look at what their writings say. Notice the word they, or and not just a, but as I read off, look at the, what the disciples and his apostles wrote about him, what people saw about him, what people heard of him. The devil, Matthew 4.3 now, when the tempter came to him, that would be Jesus, who proclaimed to be this God's Messiah, God in the flesh, God with us. He said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. He certainly seemed to think that Jesus Christ was God's literal Son, so God in the flesh, Isaiah 7. The demons, Matthew 8, 29. And suddenly they cried out, saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? His disciples witness of him, Matthew 14, 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. God's word says, don't worship anyone but God. And yet these Jews who love Jehovah, they just came and worshipped at the feet of of a guy that you may not even believe was the real Messiah. Why did they do that? Well, then they professed him to be the Son of God, Psalm 2-7. Simon Peter personally and directly to Jesus' faith, Matthew 16, 16, he answered and said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, proclaiming Psalm 2-7. Jesus Christ even professed himself to be the literal birth son of Jehovah when he was asked, Matthew 26, 62 through 64, when the, this, you know, the, uh, the, the, the false Pharisees and the religious leaders and the priests were asking, the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What do these things men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ. The Son of God. Psalm 2, 7, 64. Jesus answered, said to him, It is as you said. I am who you think that I am. The literal Mashiach, born of God's literal DNA and spirit. That, psalm, that, that he was speaking about in Psalm 2, 7. That's what he just said there. Jehovah speaks himself as he did in Isaiah 7 and 9. Mark 1, 11. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
<laughs> How would Jehovah have even gone about putting his seed or DNA into a virgin, not having sex with her, but making himself a part of the baby that was going to be born from the virgin, like Psalm 2-7, Isaiah 7, and Isaiah 9 uh, come to talk about you know, the Messiah. How did it happen with Jesus Christ? Well, God tells us through the testimony of the Gospel of Luke about Jesus. Luke 1, 26-30, uh, 26 through 35, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. There we go, Psalm 2, 7. And the Lord God will give you the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his king and to and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? I've never known a man, I've never had sex with anybody. I don't have any kids in my womb. I'm a virgin. Verse 35, then the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. That Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son, the Son, not a Son, like the Jewish nation of Israel, but that one who will be born will be called the Son of God. That's the moment when God put His Holy Spirit, His DNA, His, of His Spirit, of His essence, of His personage, He put it in Mary. He didn't have to have sex with her like a person as He's God. He can do anything He wants. He can make things disappear. He can make things by, by the voice of his mouth. He can certainly put himself, a piece of himself, into Mary's womb to be able to make her have a child that would be him. Was I the only one to have the amazing revelation of the one reference that Jehovah gave of his relationship with the one true Messiah as his only begotten son, from Psalm 2, his only begotten one, no. John 1.14. The word became flesh. John saw it too. I, this, I, God showed me this and I was like, wow, God, he saw it too only once. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The only begotten of the Father. Notice he didn't say the children of Israel were begotten of him too. No, no, no. He knew, God showed him, that there was only one begotten Son of God. And that was Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Probably uh, also why the anonymous writer of Hebrews wrote this, speaking of Jesus of Nazareth, Hebrews 1.5. For to which of the angels did he, Jehovah, ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten. You And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. After what I presented to you today, if you could, st if you could still say that Jesus of Nazareth was, was not the promised Jewish Messiah, the one Jehovah prophesied of in Psalm 2, Isaiah 7, and Isaiah, Isaiah 9, all I have to say is, come on, people! Come on, people! Jesus Christ fit the bill of Jehovah's Messiah, Psalm 2, pin. Point 
perfectly. Pinpoint perfectly. How much more obvious can you get than this fingerprint that God gave of his Messiah in Psalm 2-7 and what was said of Jesus Christ by those that had nothing to gain that was good for them and their testimony of him. Their testimony of him this way got them killed. Come on. They did nothing to gain. And they proclaimed that he was the one from Psalm 2-7. What human being, remember Psalm 2, like over about a thousand years before Christ was born. What human being could have perfectly planned out, schemed, and then wrote out the perfect symphony that we read of today over a thousand-year period between Psalm 2 and Jesus Christ's life in the first century A.D., and how Jehovah prophesied that his Messiah would be his only begotten son, his literal son of his personage, DNA, if you will, and the super-specific title that people gave to Jesus Christ. And he did it by making the title that he gave his son in Psalm 2 the only one in the entire Tanakh that having Jesus come and having the people of his day seeing this characteristic in him and what he did and the things that he did, the miracles that he did, the healings that he did, the, 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 the raisings from the dead that he did, and then honoring him with the same title. A title that the apostles gave to him that cost them their lives because they wouldn't deny it. And nobody but Jehovah could have pulled off this perfect symphony. You must stop rejecting Jesus as Messiah, and you must submit your life to him. This is what God desires. Kiss the Son. Serve him. Put your trust in him. Least God destroy you. God put his salvation into eternity and his salvation for you and your lives so that you don't have to be miserable and you could be joyful and you could... You could you know, walk in love towards others, and he he wants you for that, though you have to submit to the Son. Just like Psalm 2, the very last verses said, submit to the Son. Put your trust in Him. Kiss Him. Serve Him. This is what God wants. He said, I give everything to my my, 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 my Mashiach. I give everything over to Him. Now serve Him. Love Him. Repent. Turn to Jesus as the Christ, the only begotten of Jehovah, his Redeemer, his Messiah, his Savior, and be saved. Least he be angry. You don't want that. He doesn't want to be angry with you. He wants you to turn to him today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the awesome revelations that you gave me this week, Lord. Maybe people have already known them, Lord. They were just, they blew me away. Out of all 498 times that you used that word, Yalad, to describe so-and-so begot so-and-so, you only used it twice for yourself. <laughs> only twice. And in that twice, Lord God, you used one for the children of Israel, of the Jewish nation as a whole, which you said then later in Ezekiel, that you didn't literally beget them as their father. And the Jews wouldn't even argue with this, Lord. They would never say, oh, yes, the Jewish children of Israel, or the Jews or the children of Israel, yes, we're God's only begotten children, meaning that he literally had, you know, his DNA inside uh, Sarah or Sarai Lord, or to have us. So, Lord, we know they wouldn't even argue with that, Lord. That, that's foolishness. They wouldn't even think of that. But, Lord, the fact that you 
called your Messiah the only begotten Son. Your only begotten Son of a personal way in Psalm 2-7, Lord God. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord God, how Jesus came and that was given to Him. That, That was by you. People saw that. You gave that to them. People testified to that. They died for that fact, Lord God. They gave their blood for that fact, God. Please help those that are listening to this message, Lord, see these truths, Lord. Help them to see them. And then as I prayed in the beginning of the message, Lord, help them to respond to them, Lord God. Help them not to foolishly just hear them and walk away, Lord. But I pray that these truths would change people's lives, Lord, and that they would live in these truths and kiss the Son and serve Him and put their trust in Him. Lord God, please turn them to Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son. In Jesus Christ's mighty name, we ask all these things, dear God. Amen.